2: Actually, before I start that, JB, did you want to do the trumpet intro?
1: No, absolutely not.
2: In, 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 at some point soon, you are going to do a trumpet intro with your own trumpet. Give me another week or so. I'm very, very close. Okay. All right. Hello, Egg Chasers. This is the Egg Chasers Rugby Podcast, the podcast about rugby that doesn't take itself or the game too seriously. And we are back. Rugby or no rugby, there's plenty still to talk about, and we will. I'm Tim. That is JB. You've already heard from him. Hello, Tim. Teasing you with his trumpet. and uh, And there's Phil. Hello, Tim. Teasing us with some more rugby stash that I can't quite see the logo of. Uh, Edinburgh Northern hoodie, this one is. I think I've won it be- before. Yeah, Sports Casual tonight. I- I'll get into how you are and how your week's been in a minute, but I want to get straight into one of the big questions. We've had um, We've had a bunch of people getting in touch on Twitter, at Rugby Podcast. And uh, let me read this one. I thought we could start with this. From Andy T, who says, Lads, let- could JB run us through sales conduct in relation to the Rohan Yanti van Rensburg saga? That'd be cool.
1: I honestly don't know anything about it. I don't know a thing about it. Um, looks like it was completely above board, but obviously, <laughs> uh, were were breached. Nothing more than that. But you know, from from Van Rensburg's point of view, Janzi Van Rensburg's point point of view, it's a small price to be paying to join potentially the Premiership winners. So everyone's a winner.
2: It's... Well, it was it was a small price for Gloucester to pay, didn't they? Pay? They he actually accepted twenty five grand off him
1: he did yeah well yeah there is a little bit more to this i guess uh, i as i understand it is a mix up in agents uh, no one was quite sure who was representing who two agents made two different deals and it's just just the timing i'm not sure the player was that that not um, to blame it, did, not sure it, well, the player that. wasn't aware that he signed with two different agents well the thing is Tim, you need as i understand it you need two agents so you need a south african agent and you need a uk agent and i'm not entirely ah. sure I'm not entirely sure the two were talking to each other or were linked, but that's just, you know, that is pure guesswork. I don't, I don't know the situation that well, but I do know that there were multiple agents involved. And that's how this mess occurred.
0: So there, there were, I've, I've read the, the disciplinary report. It makes very interesting reading actually. Um, well, we don't need to go into the details, do we? Why don't we just move on? <laughs> um, there, you're quite right. There were two agents involved at various different points. I'm not sure anyone really comes out of it well. Maybe the only person that comes out of it well is Simon um, Simon Vaughan, Steve Vaughan, um, and even even he doesn't come out of it especially well. Rohan Yanti von Rendsburg comes out of it as naive and potentially a little bit stupid. Um, he he knew he was signing two deals when he signed the sale deal. Definitely, um, Ackerman doesn't come out of it well. Ackerman comes out of it. He he comes out of it like a great bloke and friend and mentor, but contractually very naive, um, and arguably a bit too close to um, some of his players. Um, Diamond and, and Simon Orange don't come out of it particularly well at all, including being named or um, yeah named in the report as being uh, overly aggressive in their defence. Um, and Simon Orange's own evidence contradicting his own statements uh, with regard to conversations that he, he had with Steve Vaughan.
1: Yeah, well, all I'd say is Steve Diamond and Simon Orange's job is to land good... Uh, good players. If you look at it in that context, they landed one hell of a player. So I, I don't know what happened in this disciplinary or, or, or what they said, but they've certainly done their job when it comes to attracting the right source of talent, which is, you know, one of those things. It's the way sometimes these things have to get done, but I, I don't know the details, so I can't comment further.
2: Well, the, the upshot was a warning shot across the bowels, a five-point penalty suspended. Suspended,
1: suspended. suspended.
0: Suspended for two years, providing they don't have any other um, transfer irregularities across the next two seasons. Uh, They got twenty twenty grand fine for sale, and a thirty two grand fine for um, Rohan
1: to repay Gloucester, or is that separate?
0: So it was thirty two grand. His total fine, of which twenty five grand was um, now he. When you read it, he he says he thought it was. a signing on fee but it was evident in the the contract that he signed it was an advance on his wages from gloucester so gloucester when he signed they gave him 25 grand so he had to repay that um kind of obviously he had to repay that and one of the yeah, agents but- got fined about three or four grand as well how bizarre they, one of the, one of the things that will come out of it is the 120 day provision which various people knew about or didn't know about or should have known about which was something else that was breached by Gloucester um, and Sale, which was 120-day provision in his Lions contract that he he was he wasn't allowed to talk to other clubs and other clubs weren't allowed to talk to him until 120 days before the expiration of his Lions contract, which various people claimed they did or did not know about at various different times. Um, yeah. But apparently it is, it is in all South African rugby contracts. So and I after a lot this, of- no no agents, no chairman, no DORs have any excuse not to know about that provision going forward.
1: Yeah, I suspect they all know about it in the same way that nobody's meant to talk to another player before January type rule.
2: No one does, Toby. Yeah. January the 1st <laughs> is the date at which the first phone calls are made. Ring, ring. January 1st. It is another question, right? So I watched so much NFL draft this weekend. Well, from Thursday night through to Saturday evening. Uh, so it was the annual NFL draft, where the young players out of college are drafted by the teams in reverse order, from poorest team to Super Bowl winners, uh, and with various trades going on for picks and things like that. It, it was it was really really good. Anyway, so the question is, we've been we've been asked this as well. Given it was the NFL draft. If there was a fantasy draft and we were suddenly general managers and head coaches of a rugby union franchise and we could draft any player, who would you draft number one? Van Rensburg, of course.
0: (laughs) 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 It's a good question. So you've got to to combine scarcity and unique talent and importance of playing position. So it's by scarcity. So obviously unique talent is a scarcity, but what I mean is positions where there are a handful of top players, which you could argue fly half.
2: Barrett or Owen
0: Farrell. But they'd they probably be two of my top choices as well. Um, I might throw in someone like maybe Billy Vanapola because he, he is pretty unique in what he can do, or someone like Cheslin Colby. And wingers... There there are a lot of very good wingers. Colby's skill set is almost totally unique and the things that he can do, no one else can do.
2: One thing I did notice from watching the NFL Draft is the stark difference between rugby union and American football. And rugby union, we've been talking about this for recent weeks, it's really not a big sport. And one of the measures of that was the state of some of the NFL Draft picks. Uh, And, well, the state of their clothes the state of the change they had around their neck, bearing in mind they've never at this point got a professional, a penny from yeah. playing the game.
0: Sure.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely right. So, yeah. so I'm trying to think, who was the running back who played for the Rams and also paid for Texas Christian Community College? Is that, is that helping you?
2: Smash Williams? I don't know. <laughs>
1: yeah. um, I'm trying to think of his name now. Eric Dickerson. that's the one never got paid a penny, a penny, to play American football until he reached the uh, St. Louis Rams at that time, but somehow managed to drive a gold Cadillac. <laughs> <laughs> Weird. It
0: was unreal. Just a side business, presumably.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, have you seen the pictures of the Arizona Cardinals coaches, Gaff?
0: Now, um, I, ha- I have seen this. Even though I'm not a big football follower. It's incredible.
2: It's where a Bond villain would live.
0: It's impressive. Yeah. You,
1: it's impressive. He's, he He's
0: a bit some stuff, hadn't he?
1: Yeah. I mean, if you want to go and buy a house in the desert, it's not as, not as if land is expensive. <laughs> you can build whatever you want there, as large as you want. Greatest yeah. country on earth.
2: Gary Neville would have got his Teletubby house approved there, wouldn't he? No planning permission issues.
1: Do you know what I'd love? A Texas ranch. Would you prefer an Argentine ranch or a Texas ranch? No, I think at a Texan Ranch. I'd like both actually. I tell you what, Bernie Eccleston has a coffee plantation in Brazil. That's cool. Does he? <laughs> yeah, does he? So wow. uh, I think he's out there now. I think he must have got on his private jet a few days before um before the lockdown. Straight to Brazil. Coffee plantation. Cheers. There are in te- on,
2: on Texas there are more wild big cats in Texas than there are in the rest of the world.
1: Uh, where would you get a statistic like that from, Tim?
2: I did know it before <laughs> Tiger King. I did know it before Tiger King.
1: I heard it on a Joe
2: rog- Rogan podcast many years ago. Yeah, but it's true. Right. Um, where, where are we at? Where are we at? Where are we at?
0: So I, I think we should start talking about... So there's been a few news stories this week about the potential future shape of the game. Um, some internationally looking at... Um, world rugby election that's going on at the moment that we ran through briefly last week and the potential for a global calendar and some some very interesting ones domestically um in terms of there's the rumors of um a breakaway league there's the rumors of um well the, the autumn internationals being moved or extended with eating into the premiership league and then there's also the rumours of a um, a new union potentially being started on the back of, um, this is a new players' union, on the back of the Leicester Tiger dispute over their 25% pay cut, which was
1: enforced on them. Yes.
2: What exactly is going on at Leicester? Summarise that one for me.
1: Okay, so Leicester Tigers have decided not to pay to take a pay cut, and this is very difficult for the players. So the players are caught between two opposing forces, really. I say opposing, they're on on the same side. On the one hand is the ownership, who are saying, take your 25% pay cut. And on the other side is the fans. And I don't think the fans really appreciate what's going on here. I think the way the fans look at it, and you can see it through football as well. I know uh, rugby and football are miles apart, but sometimes people don't realise this. What the fans are basically saying is, well, everyone else has got to suffer. You guys should suffer. I should suffer too and frankly I think a lot of the fans put the club before the players which is fine because a lot of people would think that about their local rugby club but when it's professional sport you're not able to do it so I think there's a lot of unfair pressure being put on professional players at the moment to take pay cuts when actually that shouldn't that shouldn't be the case so the Leicester Tiger players as I understand it are not bothered about taking a a pay cut particularly not in the short term so Saracens have taken a pay cut, but they've been told they'll be made whole over the course of the next yeah, two years.
2: They've not taken a pay cut, actually, Saracens. To be clear, they've, they've, they've accepted a deferral, deferral. deferral. for yeah, people yeah. over £75,000.
1: That's exactly correct, yeah. And I think that's the worry of not just the Leicester Tiger players now, but a lot, of ti- uh, a lot of players across all of rugby, which is it's very well saying you're going to pay us back, but are you going to pay us back? And also, and I completely agree with this point, once you cut our salaries, when we return to "quote unquote" normalcy, will they be bumped back up to their previous rates? Let alone will I get? Re- yeah. get re-
2: and I direct people to our previous couple of podcasts for m- much more in depth on that particular point and all the layers underneath. But like you say, this sort of ties in with the story which came out on Thursday, I believe, uh, via via the Telegraph. Charlie Morgan, who he clearly has some sources, and. Um, this story came out about the potential union. The player's not happy with the representation from the RPA. What's, what's going on here?
1: Well, I don't actually know, but um, you, know, you can see that there's some tension. I've mentioned this before, that I've, I don't think the RPA do a particularly good job when it comes to money. And I have so many questions for the RPA. For instance, why is the advice uniform for Leicester Tigers, Sail Sharks and Worcester Warrior players and Saracens players? You know they need different advice for different sets of players who are going to be going to be facing uh, separate challenges why have they signed off on pay cuts? Christian Day came out and said
0: no none of the clubs had approached the rPA when they went to the players with those pay cuts so has that, has that been signed off by the rPA
1: if you ask players, they will say that the rpa have um, have agreed to it and I think well I think the more important thing is, is why is there not a more robust defence? Not have they signed off? I mean...
2: Well, I, I, can, I think I can explain why. P- pretty simply, it's... And this is the maybe the failure of the system, is the Rugby Players Association, the agent meant to be representing the interests of players, where does it get its funding to be well, operational? Uh, ooh, PRL? I don't know. From Premier
1: League Rugby. <laughs> yeah. It's, and I honestly don't think it's malicious. No. They are very good at welfare, and there needs to be a new body set up, in my opinion, which will deal with the finances and the commercial elements, because you, you know, they're very different. You know, you wouldn't want your financial advisor being your nurse, you wouldn't want your nurse being your financial advisor. They're very different things. So, uh, make, physio, put physio in there. Um, so, Leicester Tigers is particularly interesting because all of their accounts are public. They're a publicly traded company, unlike a lot of the other rugby clubs so you can understand why the players would get a little bit antsy about um, the board saying hey take a 25 percent pay cut when for instance on their balance sheet there's eight million quids worth of cash well okay they can use that they know that they've got a got a stadium well why don't you raise money against the stadium they know that they own a share in prl well that's worth something like 13 million so why didn't you use that as security they're not saying pay us all now they're saying pay us late pay us later or give us some reassurance. Now, where it gets really interesting is I believe that the players have said, okay, well, if you don't want to pay us our money up front, we understand that. If you don't want to defer it, we understand that. How about this? How about we pay you, the players pay Leicester Tigers, in order to buy equity? Which they can do, because the people that own Leicester Tigers, well, 9% is is Peter Tom, and uh, 46% of it belongs to a guy called called Tom Scott. Now Tom Scott uh, a few years ago for 16 percent paid 3 million if Leicester Tigers is on the is on the market as they say it is worth 60 million that means that that 16% is worth 6.9 million on sale which is a 2.3 multiple of his of his, of his investment. So when they say look we are putting money in but we're getting no, nothing out we're losing money that isn't true they're putting money in and they are gaining they're um they're gaining an awful loss of capital back
0: they they would do it if he could find a buyer if it's on the market for 60 and no one's willing to buy it it's not worth 60 million is it
1: they they can afford to pay it and they should afford to, to pay it and i think the fact that the rpa have not looked at this and said yeah you can afford it you you should be doing this the leicester tiger tigers players are doing what the owners are not prepared to do so
0: I, I understand the gap in the RPA's um, current remit for this. And maybe it's right that there is a gap. And maybe it would be better done another route, either by, by an alternative union or by the players individually without a union um, looking at this position. But the players' um, negotiating position is stronger together. So that's why they've gone down this route or are looking to go down this route.
2: Here's another way of looking at this, which is it's always always the um, the law of unintended consequences. I agree. The players are are due the money that they signed a contract to earn. I completely agree with that. There's the emotional point about well, what will the view of fans be if you know they're losing their jobs left, right, and centre? Maybe not able to buy a season ticket this year, and they're seeing players, you know, on. on what they would consider good money. Now we've talked many times before about the reality of a short career and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. So we have talked about that. So that, that you know, but, but there's there's that emotional point. If if they players hold out and get their big money, fine. I think they're I think they're they're due that. They deserve that. That's the contract they sign. That's that's what they should hold out for if they wish. Uh, the the unintended consequence will be, and I'm not saying that means they shouldn't go for it, but that will it will be mean that. Once this is all done and down the track, there will be a reckoning on that fact. The books will be balanced in another way. And as a result, many people won't have any income. And I think that risk is part of the reason why players are saying, no, I want my money now because I don't know if I'm going to get another contract.
1: Do you know what? That's a bloody good, good, good point. Because that goes two ways, doesn't it? Which is, oh, well, if you don't accept these pay cuts, there won't be anything left. Well, there might not be anything left anyway, so make sure I get paid, please.
0: Yeah. yeah and that's so I've, I've been thinking about this um for the last few days actually, and in my head if you if you look at it from a game theory perspective, this could actually be the worst time for players to try and leverage their position so well, what I mean by that is under under normal circumstances, if you have a union and you want to go on or you want something, you've got a few different options. you can go on strike, you can take your services elsewhere. You can't do those like those options for the players have gone out the window at the moment. And yeah. actually, there is right now, we spoke about this last week. Right now, there is um, a, a much greater, much easier risk that the club could go nuclear and do what Ronald Reagan did to the air traffic controllers in the early 80s when they went on strike and say, Okay, you go on strike, see you later. Yeah, we'll get but, in a, we'll get in the army in that situation. In this situation, it'd be getting in a load of South Africans, a load of Kiwis, a load of Aussies who've had 50-60% pay cuts and would problem, be willing to pay for less play for less. The
1: problem is with that, I mean, well, it's not a problem. I mean, they could absolutely do that. The issue is that these guys with contracts, you have to pay out their contract. So, you know, it'd be an upfront cost of millions and millions of quid to get rid of the players that you've already got. So the players are threatening to
0: terminate the contracts, well, certainly that was what was made out in the um, is either the Daily Mail article or the, the Telegraph article was that their nuclear option was to because they've been underpaid, which they have been now, they can terminate their contract.
1: But think about this, right? At the moment, there's this sort of implied consent between the two parties that we're not going to challenge the salary cap and we'll go along with that. By the RPA route, um, but you have to set the salary cap at a sort of fair level, and we all sort of know what's going on. Uh, I don't think a salary cap is even legal uh, and under UK law. So, if they start messing around with these contracts and the players want their money back and they feel mistreated, they've got other avenues that they could attack the sport at. And I just think it is right that you know, if a company can raise capital by issuing more shares, even though it dilutes the amount of shares that the the ownership currently has, they should do that. And if the players are willing to put their money to the club when the owners are not, that is not the players being the bad party here. That is the owners being the bad party because the players are literally saying, you can't pay us. We will invest our own money to save that club. And that is a completely unique proposition. That is that is certainly is unique. If that were to happen
0: and play out, it would raise all sorts of other potential issues. Say, let, let's just say one of their very talented players, Ellis Genge, does that, gets £50,000 worth of Leicester shares. He then transfers to Saracens in two years' time. What happens to those shares? Good
1: question. In Leicester's case, it's not a problem because they're publicly traded. He can hold them in. So anyway. anyone... yeah, and also, do, do okay. you know, a,
2: lot of this, a lot of this feels like it's geared towards the elite tip of the pyramid players who actually earn big money by anyone's standard. They earn big money. They might get a quarter of a million pounds a year from England, another £100,000 from an endorsement or two, and they get their club salary of, say, £300,000. Legitimately, the top, top players could, could put away a million a year. And yep. it feels like this sort of conversation is geared towards them because I'm, your average squad player needs money to pay mortgage and, right. to, and to run his car. And so yeah. so saying, you know, I understand the solution. I think it's an inventive one, JB. But I think taking equity in club rather than cash is, is quite a luxurious position to be in that is not your average rugby player, and which is kind of the point.
1: Well, I think the point more is with Leicester Tigers is the players have got the information in front of them. And they can also see that Leicester Tigers have got a way to make the players whole and they're not doing it. Now, they're not saying they only want equity, I would guess, because I don't know. I'm not involved in these Situation. Uh, I'm not involved with in this situation, but if I was negotiating on on um, on their behalf, you would say, "Well, look, there is a viable route, but also a viable route is to raise money against all of your assets, of which you've got a asset val- a net asset value of 45 million, with 8 million in the bank." And I tell you the the other thing, Tim, which I, which would bug me if I was a rugby player, if everyone says, "Look, you need to take a pay cut, we can't honour on your honour your contracts because of uh, these horrible times that we're in." However, Bruce Craig then comes out, who I know is a different owner from a different club, and says, oh, RFU, you can't mess around with our contracts because we've signed a contract with you uh, for more international games. So the owners are going to look pretty bad if they say the RFU can't change their agreement with the clubs, but the clubs can change their agreement with their players.
0: Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, it's, it's, a very, it's very interesting, and that, that's one of, one of several changes as well. Um, yeah. Because, as reported in the the rugby paper um, today, was the the breakaway of or the potential for a breakaway of six clubs um, separating from the league. In football,
2: this happened in the early nineties, didn't it? The players they were they were in Division One, and the players uh, well, sorry, the players the clubs got together and said we can negotiate a better TV deal than this if we do it as a as a breakaway league.
1: Yeah, I mean. It wouldn't, be, it wouldn't surprise me if the players also th- think that. And I'm, you know, I don't know if that is the case or or, case or, um, or not, but it wouldn't surprise me.
0: Well, in, t- in terms of the strategies for the players to get more money, short term, you've raised some potential options for the Leicester. Long term, one of the most important things for the players, but also for the clubs, if you're going to work together to solve this um, financial problem, is growing the pot is yeah. creating a product that is um more marketable it's more attractive to a much larger audience at the moment and that that is a that's a solution that could potentially benefit everyone and indeed the cvc deal was already in my head a step potentially towards that because they they
2: want to grow the size of the pot for themselves it sounds kind of wishy-washy like i'm not sure how solid this story is sort of mentions five clubs but if five premiership clubs went and went to the, uh, the IRFU and said, how about forming a league with your four provinces and how about we have a couple of Welsh teams and a Scottish team? I, I just don't see that. Even if they did do that, I don't see that being more, valu- more valuable than a premiership.
1: As the frying pan into the fire. If you, th- if you think yeah. the policy is now, get into bed with Welsh teams. You'll love it. You'll love it. <laughs> if anything, that's going to shrink the size of the pot rather than grow the size of the pot in my mind. Yeah. No, the Premiership is a great product. Um, I will just add this, though. I mean, one of the people heavily implicated in this breakaway, uh, I can tell you right now, th- thinks it's completely false and h- has no interest in it w- in it whatsoever.
2: Well, I do have to say, just purely when you read the story, there, there didn't seem to be a lot of substance. It's certainly not a direct quote, and it could be that. Uh, potentially this, reports that, rumoured this. It, it didn't seem like it had a lot of substance.
0: Yeah, and I mean, just the the, um, the contractual obligations that you'd have to break, or some of the clubs would have to break in order to do this.
1: I would assume you do not want to get on the wrong side of the CVC legal team. I, 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 a <laughs> 16 billion quid in one, in one tranche of funding over a year is not necessarily an organisation that you want to get into. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> fight with
2: well and if you were going to get into a financial arrangement with you certainly want to have made sure all the t's were crossed and the i's were dotted before this current situation which isn't the case with the welsh regions who who did not who did not finalize their deal before this situation so now the whole thing is in doubt and the money that they're probably sat there in their minds they've already spent on servicing (laughs) debts they already have they might not get in in whole well they might get in part but
1: yeah, Am I getting part or not at all? It's a funny old time because it strikes me that now we've got <laughs> It is a big disruption. We can't deny what is happening is a very big global event. Um, on the other hand, it is interesting to see what the powers that be are up to, which is all they all seem to be wanting to steal each other's property and then redistribute it in a, in a different way. They like gave be- a monopoly. <laughs> yeah, whether it be world rugby promising that they're going to take all the you know uh, restructure all the international competitions of which they don't own half, um, or it's going to be um, a, a new league or whatnot. I just think everyone needs to calm down. I totally agree. Yeah, to the other side of this and see what the landscape yes actually looks like. Hundred
2: percent. Most of the last few podcasts have been taken up with: is this going to change? Is that going to change? What's going to happen here? What's going on there? Just chill out.
1: Yeah, wait. <laughs> Wait, pay pay the things that you owe, and wait. And you know what? If they need to get rid of um, salaries off the books in the future, they can do that by paying less money in future contracts. Yeah, you know, have the assets to pay these players, and they should pay them. And if that means that in the future uh, contracts are not worth as much, there you go. That's your answer.
2: Well, kind of linked into that is the fact I think actually on, on the sort of macro level, things are going to stay relatively the same. Uh, I believe, well, the vote, the vote today for the chairman of World Rugby, president? President of World Rugby. Chairman. Chairman of World Rugby was today. We won't find out the result for a couple of weeks, but it's widely thought that Bill Beaumont will win comfortably. Oh, is it? Yeah, because he got the, he got the support of the Six Nations. Now, one curious thing with the voting, and this is a little bit like kind of a, an American electoral college, but that's done on population. Six Nations nations, Tier 1 nations, get more weight to their votes.
1: Yeah, so do the Pacific Islands get one vote between them all? Uh, each,
2: Pacific, each Pacific Island nation and Tier 2 nation, their vote counts for one. But, yep. but England, Wales, Scotland, Ireland, for example, theirs counts three. For, for Just as an example, England and Wales are regarded as equal. If you're going to start tiering them, maybe it should be done in an electoral college system where,
1: you know... The answer is I don't know. I think it would have to increase the votes to make sure that each vote is worth less. Does that make sense? Because one for one, I mean, you can't have half a vote and yeah. vote. They might have to give England a 1,000 votes to Wales' is 800 or something. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And also they get votes, don't they, for, for geographic regions. So, you know, Rugby Oceania will get one and, um, and whoever it is. Rugby Europe get one, but that's also made, I don't know. Um, yeah, it's phenomenally complicated. And do you know what? I don't think it's going to make a, a huge amount of difference.
2: No, and, and this is uh, kind of my point in, in you saying people should calm down and stuff. I think things will basically, on the macro level, it will, things will stay much the same because bill Beaumont is the continuity kind of person the, the the big nations aren't going to be turkeys voting for christmas they're going to do whatever's in their best interest so i don't think we're going to see much to bring on the tier two nations and i think we're going to see the the big nations sitting on the the golden egg that they've got and not and not sharing
0: yeah and, and if you were certainly if you're um, one of the six nation members which is one of the most successful international sports tournaments in the world one of the most popular one of the best followed best loved why would you cuz you've got the product that everyone wants everyone wants a piece of
1: yeah yeah that's exactly it i mean the the power comes from comes from the tournaments in in, in my opinion uh and actually almost all of it comes from six nations
0: yeah and in in my head i i, I would like to see genuine sensible conversations about a global um calendar. So just where we we have less crossover with test matches and club games and there's there's just a better fit across the globe. As part of that, I would I actually wouldn't want to touch the Six Nations at all. I'd I'd like to leave it exactly where it is. May I'd maybe consider a few weeks either side shifting it. Um just, just a little bit back or a little bit forward. But Pretty much, I want that untouched. Everything else, I, I'd be fairly comfortable um, changing fairly significantly in terms of number of games, in terms of like I still want the Premiership and I still want the Heineken Cup, and I still want a Super Rugby competition. But the exact format, I, I'm very flexible. I think you could change those significantly.
2: So yeah. we'll watch this space to see what uh, Big Bill does when he is confirmed, as everyone believes he will be, as the chairman in a couple of weeks' time.
0: Yeah. That'd be interesting to see. Mm. And our, our friend uh, Francis Keane, who we mentioned on the pod last week, um, stepped friend down. The, or friend <laughs> of the pod. Uh, uh, I'm not sure I'd go that far
2: <laughs> to say friend of the pod.
0: <laughs> he did get uh, stepped down as the Fijian representative um, for for world rugby.
2: Yeah. Um, so we've <laughs> talked. We, we've talked recently. Uh, how's your week been? I'm really How- good. At- how, how was uh, Layla, your, um, JB's wife and an anaesthetist? Um, how, how was her test for COVID, which she had last week? You told us about negative,
0: COVID free. Good now. Just just to confirm, do you know if that was an antibody test?
1: Uh, I don't I, know because I, I would assume it wasn't. No, there it wasn't, it's was a drive through test that you have to do in Bolton,
0: yeah,
1: car park, and they swab you there and then,
0: yeah, because that's. Because that's great. It doesn't mean that she's n- not had it, though. Yeah, I don't know, mate. As Could... in that, that, I'm only thinking about um, getting rugby back on track, getting society back on track. The, the antibody tests seem to be a big thing for me, for um, us getting more back to normal. If you know you've had it and you know you, you are then low risk,
1: that, w- that seems like a good solution for this. Yeah, I mean, I did put a tweet out this week saying, "What on earth does rugby do to get?" And I'm not even talking about. I mean, the professional game. I would love to see back. I would love to see it back tomorrow. But I'm far more interested in seeing Talk H back. That's what I've. Really, <laughs> what I've really, really come to understand since this thing happened is I care far more about my actual rugby club than I do about club rugby. So um, yeah, I don't know how grassroots gets back on track. It, it might be a while. I just play. I, I honestly think that we play. We know what the risks are and then we play. But again, the risks aren't to us, are they? But are they? Oh, I don't know. It's too complex for It's too complicated for my simple mind. Uh, yeah.
0: I, I mean, the risks, it, it is an interesting one that because by playing rugby, there are certain inherent risks that you know you are taking you know you might break your leg, you know you might blow out your knee or your shoulder or whatever else, you know you might get a concussion through illegal or legal means. Um, the risk thing is an interesting one. It'd be, it'd be uh, an interesting experiment to make it explicit and say, look, you sign this, you know you have the risk of of getting that. Um, do you play or not?
1: Yeah, I, so there's two risks, isn't there, which I think, I, if I understand it correctly. If there is a second wave, the first risk is, you know, you break your leg and no one's there to help you. That's, that's like the, that's the worrying one. The worrying one is we have a health service which can't do anything else other than COVID. Yeah. Um, so it's coping now, but nothing else is happening.
2: And I think, yeah. I, I think as well, and you know, compliments to your, to your wives as being two cogs in a, in, in a machine, which the fact that, you know, lots of people have died, over 20,000 people have died. That's just in hospital. But no one has died because they couldn't get access to yeah. event. that's that's phenomenal. I think I think that's amazing. When we go back, what five, six weeks, that was a legitimate concern. It's like we're going to run out of
1: these ventilators in just like that, yeah, which yeah. Ne-
2: Which has never happened. That's I think that's amazing,
1: much, much better. But that would only be you know, guess, uh, guesswork at the at, um, at this point, we've just got to deal with it as we see it now. Um, So that's the first risk. And the second risk, of course, is, well, the rugby players probably won't die from from COVID, probably. But it's when they disperse back into their families and and whatnot, that is the risk.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that that is a very good point.
1: I'm not adverse to some sort of, like, sheep-dipping process where the players wade through disinfectant on the way back from the rugby field. (laughs) 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 Group-dipping.
0: You could set up, like, a car spray-painting yeah. Uh, Convey conveyor belt, like like a UV tunnel on 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 um, on, on the way out. <laughs>
2: well, just you know, make it incorporate it as part of the game. So in the tunnel, when you clap your opponents off, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> everyone's just got sprays and stuff, and <laughs> you defle. have to do it naked.
1: My, uh, my, man of the match can neck a pint of dapple.
2: I think I think injecting it is the recommended. Of course.
1: Yeah. A re- there- re- in there ge- are all practical things that we can do. I think we've established that. Actually.
2: Well, it, well, it, well you, you're mentioning that, but there's a lot of talk about football um, wanting to play games and start the league again, but play games behind closed doors. And it's, it's all the same risks, isn't it? It's all exactly the same. So well, what's, think, it, what's the difference between players going out and playing in a, in a behind closed doors game and guys going to a local rugby club and playing a game?
1: Um, I, I don't think there's any difference there.
0: Actually. Yeah, it's pretty, it seems pretty much
1: the same. Yeah, I think the difference is, um, obviously, professional football, it's, it's going to be the crowds. Yeah. Oh,
2: we, no, 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 I mean, but in terms of purely a reason why, you, you, you sh- you wouldn't, it, there wouldn't be a situation where premiership football resumes with games behind closed doors, which oh. I agree will be weird, and local rugby clubs couldn't start playing in September.
1: Yeah, agreed. And do you know what? we have to watch these games with no sound. As in no crowd sound. No, 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 no sound, because I don't think you can trust the players not to swear. And usually, you you get like only the crowd noise. But with no crowd noise, all you're going to get is effing this, effing that. Is <laughs> you know it, that's a real thing. And if you're well, in the field, it's swearing.
2: One of the possible solutions I was thinking in my head, from knowing about you know from from radio and stuff, is like radio shows happen on a slight delay. So that I have a dump button, which uh-huh. if, some, if someone were to come on and, you know, F and Jeff, I can hit the dump button and it just deletes the, the last 10 seconds and then gives me a countdown. And then I'll know when I come back in, I'm live, live. So but you can't even do a dump button in football because wasn't there some massive betting scam on Bettings, where...
1: I was going to say betting markets. Uh, you, uh, but, that won't, but that won't matter because the problem with that, Tim, was the, the people were at the game. Oh no! I'll tell you why it doesn't matter, because isn't there a delay now on placing a bet?
2: Oh, there so might you... be now. Because oh yeah, because they you go. I, I knew there was a scandal where people were betting whilst they were at a live event before it had been before the TV and therefore computer systems are caught up.
1: People uh... and I can't see why that was illegal. People got arrested in jail for that, I think. And I cannot, for the life of me, think that why that is illegal. Yeah, well, it's the. It's the betting company's processes that create the delay. Yeah. Anyway, so, yeah, there's two things in there. There's going to be no one watching it in in the crowd, unless Rob Howley's back in work. Um, and <laughs> um, is I think there's a delay on betting, so you can't do it live-live. There's a delay or something.
2: I'd love to hear a, a, a top-level rugby game in a game behind closed doors, because there is so much chat going on on rugby field. If you took away all the sound, you would hear everything the players said and it would be so much chatter.
0: Yeah. yeah. And, and in rugby, there would be far less swearing. There, there would there would still be swearing. I think there'd be a lot more swearing. I don't know. I'm, I was always... I don't know, my my overriding memory is always P's and Q's. Please, sir. No, sir. Thank you, sir. Oh, yes.
1: But to yeah. Be just- yeah, maybe. Way get getting the effing work, you know? Eff <laughs> you doing? <laughs> it, you know, there's gonna be loads. There's gonna be loads and loads of swearing. Um, and and it, it is interesting what you say to him about listening to the communication because that actually, for me, often makes a, a, an average player into a great player or a very good player. The fact that they can communicate. The difference between the academy lads in sale and the senior lads is the communication takes yeah. years
0: agreed communication is huge is absolutely huge to be able to concisely and effectively convey a lot of um, information and the and the pertinent information in a very very short space of time
1: I've been confident enough to do it that's why I think Marcus Smith is so amazing telling Jamie Roberts which lines to run
0: yeah but he's, he's been specifically coached for that mm-hmm. for yeah that, trained for that because that's not it doesn't come naturally to, to very many people
2: no but, it really one thing occurred to me is, well, Phil and I aren't um, directly affiliated or, you know, um, playing like, or coaching or anything with, with a particular club. But what do you reckon clubs at all levels, what do you reckon clubs are doing right now? Well, I can, I can ask you, JB. What, what did Digby Talk H doing to sort of keep the sort of sense of a club together?
1: You know, I actually think since lockdown, there's been a lot more communication between the club. I think what it'll probably do is polarise people. As in, people who really love being, being, being at the club and people who are sort of part time members and not, you know, might drift away a bit more. But having nothing else to do does mean like the WhatsApp's a bit busier, they do like a, a bit of a quiz and whatnot. The other way that they'll polarize is the people that are bothering to do exercise and the people that are not. So I was approached by another rugby club um, last week. Uh, one of my favourites, I might add. And um, they, was, they were saying, do you want to set up a competitive league against us just for running? And I thought, yeah, that's actually a pretty good idea. And then see if we can do it across the league. So all the clubs are getting competitive in terms of keeping their players fit and logging on, logging on Strava. So that's also a real thing. That, that's quite a good idea.
0: I think the, the gamification of any um, training, like Strava's a brilliant example, or Zwift. Tim, I know you do a little bit of
2: that. Oh, I've, been, I've been getting addicted to those races on Zwift this week.
0: <laughs> I, I, I think they're really good. And if you can make it even more um, gamified by actually having Tok H versus Bedians or Broughton Park or whatever, in, and people are doing your 5K in a time that will contribute to your team
1: competitively. I think that's a, a superb idea.
2: That's a great idea.
1: But we are currently competing against our ladies section as to who can do, do the most miles in a week. But they are logging their walks, which is outrageous. <laughs> yeah, no chance, discount. Yeah, exactly. But they do, they're really racking up the miles. You've been doing a bit of running as well, JB. Uh, yeah, I failed. I, I, my, my best 5K is 23 and a half minutes, which I know is pathetically slow. I thought I was going to get about 23 minutes a day. I was actually 30 seconds slower. Devastated,
2: devastated. Ne- it's not that week. bad, mate. I, mean... I
1: am. Yeah, it's not great, is it? But let's be honest, Mindy, you, When you're when you're over 100 k- kg, you don't go anywhere fast. That's what. That's <laughs> what. Real.
2: Yeah, but you've but, got that farmer strength. I can run my my um, my 5k PB is 20 minutes 25 seconds or 20 minutes 15 seconds. But um, I desperately want to get under 20. But 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 I am so weak. Whereas you've, yep. got that, you've got that mute strength.
1: Well, I tried to do... it. So I have got obsessed with a workout which our coach has given us, who is also a personal trainer. And it is five press-ups, one burpee. Then it goes eight press-ups, two burpees, seven press-ups, three burpees, all the way down to uh, one press-up, nine burpees. And that's a ladder. And then you go back up it, you go down it, up it, and down it, up and down it. Do as many as you can in 20 minutes. So I've been getting obsessed with that. And I, I can't even do press-ups. I mean, I, I, I can't... Running... Don't, don't care what anyone says. Running makes you weak. Running makes you less of a man. There, there is, there, there's no argument. There's no argument.
0: Uh, no, one, no one wants a runner's body. You, don't, you, never, oh. you never go to the pool or the beach and say, you look at the, the runner over there.
2: Elliot the Kipchoge, look at him. Yeah, <laughs>
0: Kipchoge's physique. Oh, God, look at the, look at the arms on Kipchoge. <laughs> I,
1: I, I tell you, he's got a, got, got, got a slow 5K. The Rock... And triple
2: eight. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, I actually, um, uh, I signed up at very late notice to do a marathon. So I stopped playing rugby and I went, right, I've always said, well, as soon as I finish playing rugby, I'll, uh, I'll do a marathon. But I'd not done one. So I thought, right, I'll just have a, I'll have a couple of sessions with a trainer who can set me on a, on a plan. And he basically said, he said, don't do too many runs in the week if you want to lose, unless you're happy to lose loads of muscle mass. Because basically all, all you do when you run long distance is your body just eats itself.
0: Mm. yeah i i'm in i'm in this position now where i'm doing quite a bit more running but i don't want to lose any muscle but i'm kind of i know that i'm going to lose some but uh it's quite a tough balance to to strike so i'm, I'm trying to also do so i'm trying to run quite a lot but also then still do
1: quite a lot of weights which is quite tough it is very very tough and, uh, I, I eat a lot I think the CrossFit model of working out is perfect for, for being at home which is a minute here a minute here a minute here a minute here just like, uh, like a miniature circuit and note it on the board it's a perfect mix of strength well not strength but it's something and- just,
2: just do it get into CrossFit do it I do CrossFit sessions I'm, I'm doing them in my back garden um, at the minute and uh, do them but just keep it to yourself there you go it's like, it's like if, you want, if, you, if you want to be a vegan be a vegan just keep it to
1: yourself but- on your board and send it to all your friends
0: <laughs> send, yeah post it on Strava let everyone
2: know
1: yep. you got ha-
2: harvest that kudos
1: yeah exactly if I haven't put it on on Twitter did I even work out exactly. that is the
2: new yeah that's the new philosophical question if a tree falls in a forest and no one's there to hear it did it make a sound if you, if you do a workout it's like if you if you clap on a Thursday night but you don't post it on Facebook did you really <laughs> clap at all
1: <laughs> <laughs> more more boring than working out at the moment what, sorry
0: Barbecue.
1: Barbecues are the most boring things on earth now. If I have to hear another bloody barbecue anecdote or look at another barbecue picture. <laughs>
2: there are, do, do, I was reading uh I was reading the Times today, and, and in, the, in the Times magazine there was an article by Lionel Shriver, who I I, I think she's ace. Mm. And and um she was basically saying just but her, the general thrust of the point, it was a really well-written article, but it was it was about exercise, but it, it links in with what you're saying. Basically, she was saying this lockdown period
1: is, you have
2: to be very careful not to turn into a total dullard.
1: Yeah, that is very true. Or more of a dullard in my case. Yeah. <laughs> and this kind of comes back to my point, right? Which is when the rugby teams come back to training, the grassroots ones, we are going to have a huge difference in the, between the standard of the people that bothered training and the guys that didn't. And there'll be some surprises, like the guy who love. We all have in the rugby club, the guy who just loves to be loose all the time and you know continually drink and abuse his body and smoke. But they only do it in social situations. So those guys might actually come back looking like... Well, like you probably won't even recognise them.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, it will be polarising, as you said before, for the people who bother doing the exercise and bother ticking over, and the people who have just sat on the couch watching Netflix, eating their barbecued uh, beef brisket Every I mean, day. equally,
2: and this, this is kind of the, the reason for saying it in the first place, I think that clubs, there will be a lot of players, and, and the lifeblood of clubs is the, is the subs you get from the guys that turn up all the time. There is, a, there is a core group that will be coming back, whatever. But there are, this is a point where there will, you could lose a bunch of players. That's
1: interesting, right? Because um, I don't know if that's right, Tim. I wonder if everybody being stuck inside will mean that they appreciate the things that they used to do more. I expect that we're going to have a really strong preseason across the nation because people are going to be flooding back and thinking, I'm not taking that taking that for granted ever again. Mm. That, that That's how I see it. But you... you... Yeah.
0: I, I think there'll be a mix of reactions. I think a lot of people, 80, 90% of people will have exactly, JB, that reaction. I think there'll be a few people who will say, God, I'm, I'm not wasting my... Um, rugby time playing I want to travel the world and do xyz do that yep. kind of thing and that there'll be people there will genuinely be people who will be continually worried about going back into these situations now I, th- I think that'll be a, a very small percentage but I think that people will there'll be people who are after this um a bit more concerned and fearful about this kind of like rugby for example
2: or even it's an it's an opportunity for clubs to to poach if you can if you do a little bit of, uh, what's the word, pastoral stuff like you would do at school, if you're seen as a club that's really proactively working through this period to keep people together, I think it's a great opportunity for you to win a load of new faces yeah. turning up.
1: Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, it's uh, going to be a very, very strange reopening. I can't wait, though, because it will happen. It will happen, I think it will happen in, in the normal time frames.
0: As in, next season for clubs might start as normal.
1: Yeah, I think we'll start preseason regardless on the first week of July.
0: I think that's interesting. I'm not sure that will happen, but
1: no, socially distance. Preseason isn't isn't contact. Preseason could be socially but distant, yeah. No reason why you couldn't do it.
2: Yeah. And aren't they saying that as social distancing and outside is is a relatively low risk?
1: Yes. Absolutely. Yes. I think we can agree on that. Um, I tell you what isn't what isn't low risk though, Tim. What's that? being
2: the CEO of Australia Rugby. Uh great segue. Can I I just wrap up on the whole, um, like, um, sort of, uh, what I'm seeing around at the minute? Uh, Just just generally, and and with you saying a lot of people being nauseous with barbecues and stuff, agreed, I've noticed, like, Twitter getting back to being as angry as it ever was. I think there's a real, and and I I don't know if you saw James Haskell just, like, letting (laughs) rip, conflating. Conflating well, people who, don't, um, who would not, who would prefer not to have a royal family with the worst just, scum on earth you've ever seen. I just, I hope he's all right. Hope he's all right.
1: <laughs> I could not give a. I, I could not give a single damn about the royal family. I don't mind that they're there. Yeah. I, 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 I couldn't care less.
0: Yeah. I, I'm pretty I, apathetic. I, yeah, I, I, I couldn't imagine getting angry about it. Uh, either way, either way.
2: No, <laughs> no but, but he, he, was, he was conflating them. He was basically saying anyone that, that doesn't like the Royals is a, the worst type of scumbag on earth. <laughs>
1: Virgin. <laughs> Virgin. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah, say that? I'm pretty sure he did. Yeah. Uh, I think he might have got carried away with his own rants. Um, I'm sure his, his views are far more balanced than uh, was made out uh, in that clip.
2: Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. But, um, but, but what I would say is, I just, I, I've noticed a sort of tension starting to ratchet up a little bit. So, um, you're a virgin. You're a virgin, mate. <laughs> I didn't just mean him. I mean, I mean, I meant that's <laughs> that's symbolic of what I've seen lately. Is just Twitter starting to get a little bit nastier again. So, um, in the cesspit. In the cesspit, deep in the cesspit. But yes, oh, speaking of a cesspit, Australia. rugby, <laughs> Australia. Oh God
1: uh, yeah, I, you know, first thing I'd say about Raylene Castle is I just feel really sorry for her. I don't think she was probably given enough of a chance. And I think everyone can look at themselves and have some blame. And if you if you look at yourself in Australian rugby and say, oh, it was nothing to do with me, no matter which side you're on, you are completely wrong. So there is undoubtedly pressure from, like the, like the, 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 the ex-Australian captains all of a sudden think that they're going to be top administrators. Well, that 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 isn't true. But on the, on the other hand, Everyone who was, you know, anti-Fox rugby, or you're a misogynist for saying this and the other, they were putting, they they were basically putting a, politi- a political agenda on Raylene Castle, which she just couldn't keep up with. You know, she she had to be everything that they wanted and more. And I thought that was a very unfair standard standard to, standard to to hold her to. Ultimately, though, very very tough times, and she has proceeded over a cut in. Um, a cut in salary for the Australian players. I think it's 60%. She's also lost a TV deal. She also had nothing in place to replace that TV deal. So she may, she may be phenomenally talented prior to this and have done a very good job prior to this, but it's going to be very, very hard to explain to everyone why it is that you've got to give all your players a 60% pay cut and you've lost your TV deal and you didn't have a backup plan ready to go and in place when you lost that money.
2: I agree with everything you just said, and 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 here's the point: it's not a it's not a binary, either or. And I think it's also ridiculous the people that say that, that somehow the fact that Raylene Castle was a woman had anything yeah. to do with it whatsoever. Absolutely ridiculous.
1: And this was her problem, right? And it kind of it's a shame because any other woman will look at this and go, oh, maybe rugby Australia isn't for me. Because if I if I set foot in um, in this arena. The way it'll be painted is no one will take anyone. So they, the, the pro-Castle supporters were not taking the other side seriously because they were saying, oh, you're just a misogynist. Well, as soon as, you, as soon as you say that, there is nowhere else to go because you're dealing with the other side in such bad faith. You think that they're such idiots. Why would you bother dealing with, with these people if you didn't think that they thought anything else other than we're against reigning Castle because she is a woman?
2: Like, I think, like when people call, a, um, uh, people call uh, someone that they just happen to
1: politically disagree with a Nazi. Yeah, it's... Where yeah, do you go after that? Where, where can you go? Game over, game over. And the second one was, is a Fox Sport conspiracy. Okay, well, if it's a Fox Sport con- conspiracy, you're not going to go any further than this because everyone's conspiring against you and it's super secret and all, all the rest of it. So I think both sides look utterly stupid here. Yeah and i think uh, probably railing castle was the best person for the job and they've lost that person because you know they can't shut their mouths and talk sensibly and and
0: good luck to whoever gets the role next because <laughs> it, it, i mean it's not a role that um too many people will look at longingly now with all the background before railing castle got involved with all the last 3 years of background and with these um 11 or 12 former Aussie captains of which Phil Carnes is possibly the most likely to um, take the role. Indeed, I believe he interviewed in 2017 for it when Raylene Castle got it and he failed at at that stage. So if he does take it, good luck to him because it's not going to be much fun.
1: There's obviously a big split in Australia. And if it's a split between the old players and the old boys and whatnot, maybe you need an old boy to stitch it all back together. Um, (laughs) Oh, the last what, like, oh, go on. Railing castle inherited a bad situation, and it did get worse under her tenure. There are some good things that she's done too, and the things that got worse are not necessarily her fault. It does highlight to me, though, um, the poor running not just of the A, the A R U, but also uh, the um, R F U. Uh, the R F U. Are completely reliant on opening Twickenham week in week out to get money in to fund the English game, and that and, and that is wrong. So I hope that the, the upshot of all of this is they look at Rowling Castle, they look at the RFU, they look at the money problems, they look at the drastic measures Rowling Ray, Castle had to put in place, not because of what she did, but because of the situation that she found herself in, and say this is not a sustainable uh, business model to support a sport with, because that is what uh, that's what I take, take away from all this.
2: Well, some some of the fallout from it all could be, well, uh, Dave Rennie, just on, on the actual rugby side of things, has um, put out a a squad, which is not a squad because they're not getting together, but it's it's kind of a, here's players I'm looking at and I'm impressed by it at the minute. Kurtley Beale was omitted from that squad. And we're also hearing that lots and lots of Australians, high profile Australians, have been given the green light by Rugby Australia because of the cuts that you talked about to their salary to go and seek deals in Europe, which is going to, well, I would argue if you're, a, if you're a, a, a player at a Premiership club who's coming out of contract, you're going to be under even more competition for a contract with guys like Michael Hooper um, looking yeah. to come and play.
1: Well, Rupert Paper, as well as their story about the breakaway clubs, had Matsumura on the front page. Matsumura to Bath. And that's a nice little signing, if you, if you can get him.
0: Mm. Yeah, there's, there's a few talented options coming from, or potentially coming, um, on Reasonable rates as well, (laughs) given the the situation down there.
1: What's the New Zealand situation? I think
0: there's a 50% pay cut, um, a a current position in time uh, across their men's, women's, and sevens
1: squads. Yeah, it's a shame. So I, I would probably say. I would probably say in these situations, the player's best option is to is to stay put. I don't think it really helps if they all migrate to Europe at the same time. Uh, but, that's yeah. right. Really the and then, if you stay where you are, you've probably got a much better chance of securing an international deal and playing international. Yeah, but I don't know.
2: So, don't know. just rattling through a few other things. Um, Joe Marler's ban will be, and uh, Manu Tuolangis will be will be deemed. Served whenever rugby does resume the the six nations ticklegate ban
1: yeah you mind this you're what sir jade i don 't particularly mind this, do you
0: um, I, it just strikes me as inconsistent, and that 's that's, that's my big thing with with these disciplinary hearings I, you just in my mind, you just want consistency, and in the past, we know that um, world rugby has ensured that they are meaningful meaningful yeah. matches. Um, So discounted games that were not real games. um, And this does seem to fly in the face of that. So this was, a. I I think I understand it, as this is a six nations disciplinary judgment. It will be interesting to see if World Rugby steps in um, and does anything on it.
2: The only other interesting part from this Mahler thing as well, I think Alex Lowe did a bit of digging on this one. You mentioned him earlier, Phil. He did a bit of digging on this one and found that uh, Alan Wynne-Jones did not want to put in any sort of contribution to the disciplinary hearing whatsoever. Now, he, he completely opted out and George North did the same with the Maniturangi.
1: I would just, I would do the same thing as both those boys because I just couldn't be bothered. It doesn't make you feel better. It doesn't make your head better. It, it doesn't untickle your balls. Just <laughs> Look, it's on camera. You, know, you can watch it.
2: Yeah, I... Well, I, you say you say that, JB, but the reaction overwhelmingly was one of... I mean, we went over this, you can go and listen back to the podcast. The reaction was one of general merriment and oh, hijinks until the post-match press conference when Alan Wynne-Jones piped up, and then it changed completely.
1: Yeah. Look, I'm, I was one of the people who think he should have been uh, more harshly dealt with. Um, that would be Marla. I just, but I don't really think, in this you know situation that we find ourselves in, it is the most important thing. And you know, if the punishment oh, serve a lesson, I think we'll probably be taking that taking that lesson regardless of the fines, and then everyone can come come back. It's not a huge issue on our plates at the moment. We'll deal with subsequent disciplinaries differently and consistently.
2: No, yeah, I know. I'm just I was just. It's only when when we look back with a different lens, it was quite. I just thought it was a good little get from Alex Lowe to have dug in and gone, ah. yeah,
1: mm. he's, he's a very good journalist. I, I just,
2: I, he is a very good journalist. I, we can only read between the lines, but I wonder if it was, I can't be bothered, or whether it was Alan Wynne-Jones going, oh God, that got, that escalated quickly. I didn't quite mean for it to, for that to happen to Joe.
0: I wonder if it's, there's almost no way that Alan Win jones can realistically give anything that helps Joe Marler out. As in... Like what? What does he say? Oh yeah, I don't mind having my balls tickled in the in the game. <laughs> Any anything that he says is going to be used as evidence against I, Joe Mahler, I can't help but thinking. So this. But but, been... but he
2: could, he could have made it worse for him. He, he, yeah,
0: sorry. That I guess that is my point. Yeah. Um, so Alan Win Jones could have said, "It's a disgrace. I felt violated. Blah blah blah." So in doing this, he's actually helping, kind of to a degree, helping out. Um, yeah. That's yeah. that's the way I'm reading it. You're not wanting to dig, dig the knife in.
2: Yes. Yeah. Um,
1: I, I read it as that he probably couldn't be bothered. Because that's exactly <laughs> that, how I would approach this. <laughs> I'm I'm just rattling
2: through a couple of questions that we've been asked on the podcast before we wrap this one up. Um friend of the pod friend of the pod Rob Hamlet um has been hearing us talking about cycling um <laughs> on the pod recently and said what is considered acceptable attire for the increasing number of amateur cyclists? Is it ever okay to wear lycra? Are padded shorts allowed? He wants some of the big topics booked to bed. Where do you stand on this one?
1: Uh, well, as a formerly keen commuter cyclist rather than actual cyclist cyclist, I would say no lycra is acceptable, not even padded shorts. Things are, accept- are acceptable. Are helmets, just Um, eyewear that's fine gloves other than that other than that normal clothes well sports clothes so interestingly uh,
0: I agree on the gloves only if it's very very cold very cold yeah absolutely close to zero that's the only time for gloves (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, I disagree on the padded shorts I think padded shorts are acceptable but but under um, yes Phil under normal shorts or just just wear normal shorts. Um, and the key key difference, JB, if you um, I know you're below one hundred kg at the moment for the first time well, in a little while. If you um, one hundred kg, you can't deny it. If if you um, if you lose a bit more weight, you might appreciate the uh, the benefit of a padded short because it can get pretty painful after a while.
1: Not that the not the listeners want to hear this. But I actually went on a little cycle first time in ages two days ago. And I am actually feeling that pain which you're referring to now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it's yeah, I, padded shorts are just sensible.
2: You'll have some caniston that, that you <laughs> that you use on the kids. Just get a bit of that down there. <laughs> yeah, it's painful. Yeah. So I'm compl- I'm in complete agreement with you, unless unless you are it it would be like the, the equivalent is you wouldn't turn up to rugby training on a Thursday night for the team run and a session in a full bath kit, socks, shorts, <laughs> um, and top, all matching. That is the equivalent. No, that is the I'm... equivalent.
1: <laughs> that is the
2: equivalent of someone going out on a Sunday bike ride in full lycra. I've been to training in a
1: Benetton top, Benetton socks. Oh, no, I didn't. I, went in Benet- I thought I did. I went in on top and, I think, a Roni socks. Like I couldn't get the matching shorts.
2: You just reminded me of a story. Um, there was a rugby player. He played at Nottingham for a lot. and He, he started at Leicester. Dan Montagu. Uh, you, oh, yeah, you probably played against him a few times, Phil, I imagine.
0: Potentially, yeah. I definitely know the name.
2: The number eight. Good player. And he, uh, he got the nickname Stash on his first day training in England. He came over from Australia and he was at Leicester Tigers and he got the nickname stash for doing the opposite of what i just described instead of turning up in proper kit he had like wool socks um, he had those old fashioned shorts which had like the the cord and the little buttons on the front the real old fashioned ones the car- cardboard shorts yeah car- <laughs> cardboard shorts and he had a he had a, a real thick cotton uh, jersey so he got the nickname stash and so that's that's what he was known for his whole career as <laughs> no, stash I,
1: I was coaching and it must have been 18 months ago now so we were down at the club rather than at a university of sorry at the the mmu ground where, where we train on the 3g and the guy came down and he said yeah i i want to try out for rugby so feel free you know you've come to the right place and i said right uh, the change rooms are over there um just go get changed, come back out. Um, in fact, I'll, I'll show you where, where they are. So I walked him into the change rooms. I said, like, where's your bag? He goes, I don't have one. I just thought I could play like this. The guy was in pumps, jeans and t-shirt. I was like, you really can't play. <laughs> so I had to, had to rifle through all the bags to find a kit which would fit him, which is you know, fair, fairly straightforward. So I was like, oh, will they get angry? Won't will, 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 will they mind? It's like, no, just get in the kit, come out. You definitely can't play in t-shirt and jeans.
2: Did you ever see him again?
1: No, <laughs> <laughs> but we pride I, our, we pride ourselves on getting these lads who've never played before, making sure, sure. Oh, I do anyway. Making sure that they do play again.
0: Yeah, I, that is like you. Every now and again, see someone in in, um, in the gym who is in like jeans and a shirt curling weights. Yeah, <laughs> like it's just. I find that so weird. So so weird.
2: I think one of the worst outfits, because like, we, we're, all, we're all in agreement that full lycra, unless you're a professional cyclist, no need. Uh, the worst one in gyms is people that, that wear like a, a, a small vest, little shorts, and a woolly hat. So many people do <laughs> that.
1: Do you watch? I have noticed that. I think scarves and vests, hats and vests are all ridiculous.
2: Yeah, yeah. People that take their coat off and leave a scarf on. Indoors,
1: the the other yeah the other person who who um who I quite enjoy talking to, is on the opposite scale of the person who doesn't know not, not know what they're doing, but the guy who comes to the club and, uh, and opens up with yeah I've had offers from several other clubs actually so just thought I'd try yeah. out as if as if we're now going to make him an offer,
0: yeah, that people some people and I know this from from my playing days some people who have had. Um, inflated sense of their um, talent, potential, self-worth. Yeah, well, but...
1: of well, we don't have any contracts. So, I don't know what you... <laughs> what was do you want me to write you a contract?
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: Mm. Any more for any more? Any other business?
1: No, we're good. But we are talking about um, maybe one of the most famous wins, so <laughs> impressive win that I can remember in my rugby lifetime tomorrow night. We certainly yeah.
2: are. Keep your ears peeled for that in the, uh, in the feed. But thank you for listening. We're at Rugby Podcast on Twitter. He's at JBM or I'm at Cocker. Phil is lurking. He'll let you know if he, if he wants to be found in the cesspit. And yes, as JB said, we have another podcast coming in your feed talking about a glorious pri- uh, old-school rugby match, Sale Sharks versus Leicester Tigers, Premiership Final 2006.
0: And, and also next week we're going to be doing... Um, all or Nothing by the All Blacks.
1: Wow. Watched
2: a, I've watched a couple of episodes of this.
1: Yeah. I, I, bye. Um, well, you'll have to find out what I think about it. Uh, no,
0: <laughs> yeah, let's save that for next week. Yeah. I've, I've watched, I'm a halfway through I, it now.
1: How many more of these episodes do I need to watch out of interest, Tim? In? All of them, not all of them. Well, I mean, we, uh, we could potentially break it up
2: into little 10-minute episode-by-episode episodes. I'm not... If that you... makes any sense.
0: Because um, there's, there's a lot of slow motion shots of yeah. um, pl- players on the training paddock that I'm not sure how, how much we could
2: do, yeah, it's how much weird. contact we can get on each episode. I, I sort of, there was so much slow motion that I thought, have they been told these episodes have to be a certain length and they just kind of, slow that down a little bit more.
1: Yeah, <laughs> no, slow it right down. Yeah, <laughs> give, me, give me more close-ups of a sewing machine. I mean, that's, I ended up watching 10 minutes of sewing
2: <laughs> <laughs> that's what you've got to look forward to uh, All or Nothing the All Blacks uh, documentary series on Amazon but on the next podcast which we will, will be in your feed very soon so hit subscribe is uh, an old school club game uh, so we'll see you on that one and Good. let us play Even when we're
0: on a budget we still deserve nice things Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands